Please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read portions of scripture from Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and Jeremiah. Ecclesiastes 12:13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Song of Solomon 8, 6 through 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Children may be dismissed. They can follow you. The children. So uh, the children can follow Keeley here and follow the kids on up. Praise the Lord. It's a beautiful day, even though it's a little bit hot out there. It's nice in here. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. <laughs> nice and cool. Happy Father's Day. Um, it's a uh, talking about the Father and opening with these different texts. This is what we've been reading as a church together. We're reading the Bible together this year. And so we've been reading and finished reading the wisdom literature. And so we finished reading Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and we're reading into Jeremiah now. So I chose a verse from each of that, and I'll relate it to uh, Father's Day today some, but don't just omit that, that it's just for fathers. This is the Word of God. It's for, it's a, it's, it's our fathers are to show a quality that God has. And so these are qualities that we want in our Heavenly Father, and so they'll apply to all of us. So hopefully you won't tune me out. The first scripture that we had was, from Ecclesiastes, kind of a difficult book to read. Proverbs was real, uh, kind of more cut and dry. It's for a young man learning uh, wisdom, uh, right and wrong. But Ecclesiastes gets into the type of wisdom that is for the little bit more mature, where it doesn't always turn out exactly like you want. You don't always reap exactly what you sow, even though you walk in wisdom and in the fear of the Lord, sometimes things go bad, and so it begins to enter into that kind of debate in Ecclesiastes. But we have this great verse uh, in the last of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, 
verses 13 through 14, which Keeley read. And in the end this, of the matter, this is it. This is a summation. All that has been heard. Uh, the teacher's been heard. The author is commenting on the teacher's lessons, and he says this. Fear God. Hear the word of the Lord. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So God's going to wrap things up in the end. It's in his hands. Our lives can be simply, even through the wrestling through Ecclesiastes, be brought down to something like uh, a point. And the point is humbly walking before your God in reverence of him. And it is knowing right from wrong. It's knowing his commandments. A father is to do this. A father is to lead by example. He knows God. He knows that in the end, everything he does will be brought into judgment, whether good or evil. He knows these things, and he lives his life and leads by that example. He lives in the humble fear of God, and his delight is to do God's will, just like Jesus did. It was Jesus' delight to do his Father's will. And with commandments, a lot of times when you talk about obeying commandments, it can seem like they're burdensome. And John, in his uh, Gospels, in the epistles, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So a lot of times a father can, you know, heap things on, do this, and be rule-oriented, and it become even the scriptures and the good things that God has established for us can become burdensome. But God doesn't want the commandments to be that way. He wants a father to lead by the example of that it's his delight and joy to do the father's will, that the father's commandments are not to keep us from anything that is good for us or pleasurable for us. They are to keep us from harm. And so the, it's, not, it's not a uh, burden to keep what God has commanded us to do. It is a joy to keep it. A father is able to lead with that kind of example. He is to, like Colossians 3, 21 and Ephesians 6, 4 says, he's a father that brings his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He nurtures and, ad, and gives admonition. He doesn't heap the uh, commandments on in a way that is disheartening to a child. So this is very difficult to do, and fathers fail many times, right? If you've ever been a father or even tried to mentor somebody, you will know that, well, failed, failed, failed there many times over. And this is where we need God's grace to come in. Uh, You know, Colossians 3 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know, I I know sometimes even with my grandchildren, because we're raising them, I can say things and I can see the discouragement hit, hit, and I can say, I didn't do that right. You know, I didn't uh, somehow take what God wants to do in their life and encourage them. Instead, it kind of discouraged them. It it wasn't hope-filled in the end like, yes, I can do that. God can help me to do that. So these are difficult nuances as a father. It can be difficult to be a father. And many of us 
might have had really good fathers that we still admire to this day, and many of us might not have had a father, and many of us might have had a bad father, but we might see in, in the end that all of us are sinners and all of us as fathers have failed. But a good father does teach his children the commandments. He does teach them in the end uh, everything will be seen. Everything will be brought to God's uh, perfect justice. Uh, good and evil will be decided and is decided by God and in that final day when all things are revealed. This is a good and can be hope-filled. We don't have to resolve everything here and now. We are not the judges. We cast that burden on God. God is the one who will decide those things in the end, and it's not up for me, even as a father or as a leader or as trying to be an example, to work all those things out in the end. Judgment is uh, in the hands of God. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's good to know. I can rest in that. Romans 2, verses 6 through 11 says, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress on every human being who does evil, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. This is, this is great. God in his justice doesn't show partiality. Uh, you know, there's no standing with you, with God, that goes, yeah, you know, you know, and I'm, you know, this or of this race or of this part or anything like that. God looks at the heart. He sees your heart. He searches the heart. And he knows what your heart is like towards him. He knows your deeds. He knows every secret deed done all the way. And he knows whether they're good or whether they're evil. He measures all those things. And as a father, this is a, you know, an example for us to live up to. Um, he produces in us uh, children that are hope-filled, that are responsible for their actions, and they know that every deed will be judged at the end of their life, but it'll be judged not by an earthly father or an earthly man, but God's perfect justice, and it will be good, and it'll be satisfying to the heart and to the soul. So a good, good father does that. He teaches commandments. He teaches right from wrong. He establishes that in the heart of his children, and so does God. And when there's failure there, his commandments aren't burdensome. There is grace that he provides. There is uh, forgiveness in the sacrifices, and there is forgiveness in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus that brings grace. So fathers need to be willing to do that. One of the greatest things that will open up your kids and fill them with hope is when they've done something wrong, talk to them about how you struggle. Well, many times your kids struggle with the same things you do. So they, you know, fly off the handle or whatever. Oh, man, I felt that same way. But, you know, and, you know, I've sinned, you know, too. And, and I go to God and he forgives me. And, you know, God, really? God can forgive you? You know, my grandkids, Papa, you know, you've sinned. Yes. You know, I sin. I struggle. And it opens them up to say, wow, you know, I am going to struggle with sin, too. And God has that mercy and forgiveness in my life. So a good father does that. Uh, from the song of of songs, we read this beautiful uh, 
poetry, this poem, this book about romantic love, about uh, a man in love with a woman, a woman in love with a man. They're betrothed to each other, and, and, and they're looking forward to marriage, and they're, they're waiting and they're longing for marriage. They're uh, interacting in this love, beautifully written love poetry. Uh, for the Jewish people, they wouldn't even allow them to read this book in the Bible until they were of marrying age because it is that kind of explicit uh, language. So when we get to the Song of Songs, uh, that's another what it's called, the Song of Songs, the Song of All Songs, this kind of beautiful poetry. We read in 8, verse 6 and 7, which Keely read for us this morning, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave, it flashes our flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is the, the bride asking the one she is betrothed to to love her with everything. She, she wants to be Love this way. She starts off with, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. I don't know if you've ever seen movies, you know, the, the men or, you know, and they would wear that band, you know, around their arms up here. You know, set me as a seal around your arm. Let everybody, you know, that see your betrothed to me, to me alone, your mind, that exclusivity. I, I want, you know, everybody to know the bride saying that you're mine. And this beautiful uh, set me as a seal upon your, your heart, uh, one of the metaphors that that can mean was rather than wearing a ring on their finger, they'd wear a ring right here, and it would dangle right here in between their, their breast right here, and it would be close to their heart, and they'd say, keep me right there all the time. This is the bride saying, I want this. This is, is, is love. And long, uh, love is as strong as death. It's powerful. Uh, jealousy is as fierce as a grave. It flashes or flashes a fire. It's, it's, it's full of, uh, you know, when love grows cold, that's a bad thing. Uh, love is, is, is heated, and, and love can be heated passionately. Love, and they're talking about this thing, and that, that love can be in the right context, of the word and within the right context of marriage can be a great flame uh, for, for Christian uh, couples together. Many waters can't quench that kind of love. Floods can't drown it out. So this seal uh, is a signet ring. It's carried close to the breast. Keep our love that way. I believe this second point is that a good father loves his wife. He loves his wife this way. He's an example of love. The kids look to it and go, oh, wow. You know, I mean, that, that love needs to be above the love towards the children. If you start loving the children more than you love your wife, that, that becomes a disordered love and can be destructive. So a husband needs to love his wife. A good father needs to lead with the example of that. He needs to have the love of his wife at the first place in his heart within the family, not above God, of course, that would be disordered love too, but he loves his wife this way. He, he is passionately, he sees her uh, as a value and, uh, and, and most precious, you know, in his life above all other women. His wife, uh, by far, 
is the one that he is drawn to and attracted to, and that's made known by his example, uh, by his words, by how he speaks, by how he speaks about her wherever he goes. And uh, the, the, the beloved, the wife, wants this. She wants her love to be that seal. She's the one that's speaking here. She wants him to have that place. She wants to have that place in his heart. She wants to be loved by her husband. She wants to be shown love. She wants uh, her, uh, the love of her husband to be devoted for her alone, not straying elsewhere, not looking elsewhere. Uh, she wants that ring to be next to his heart at all times, be a band, let him know that uh, this man is, is mine. We are blood. We are passionately in, in, in fiery, romantic love with each other. The Bible says this is a good thing. A good father loves his wife this way. Um, they're, they're united in their love for another. They are united front with their children. Um, he loves his wife like the wife, like uh, Christ loves the church, like Paul exhorts in Ephesians 5. He lays down his, this is a lot, isn't it? Like, wow, who can be a good, good father? This is, this is challenging. This is very challenging. But a good father has his wife always in his thoughts and in his heart. And it's his joy to love her. Uh, he knows he needs the Lord's help. There's what it comes down to. When we're failing, um, when our eyes stray, when, we, when our hearts go astray, when our hearts grow cold, we have these times. That's real. Uh, we need to seek the Lord always. We always need to seek the Lord's help. That it, and, and a good father knows this, a good husband knows this, that it's not a matter of my willpower to wake up every morning and go, I will myself to have the desire to love my wife. It's not that kind of love. It's the love of God, and it is the love like, Lord, help me. I need your help to do this. It'll be one of the most difficult things a man ever does is to love his wife like Christ loves the church and to do that for his whole life here on this earth. But the Lord's gift the Lord's influence in his life. He realizes his source for his heart and for his love comes from the Lord. And he is seeking uh, this kind of passionate love uh, from God for his wife. Uh, looking back into Proverbs, we see that uh, Proverbs 31.10 says that an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Amen. <laughs> an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious that's the preciousness of realizing what you have and the blessing of a good wife I was talking to a fellow pastor friend and he uh, I was telling him last week we were doing Proverbs and he said uh, he, quote, he said look up Proverbs eighteen twenty two. that's my favorite one you know and walked off so I went home and actually did it and looked up Proverbs 18.22, and it said, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Oh, man, you obtain God's favor. And when you find a wife and you find a good thing, you obtain favor from God. It's God's favor upon you. And as I texted this uh, friend back, he said, that was the verse that I... Uh, read the night before I proposed to my wife. And so he explained and elaborated more into that. And the power of a good father loves his wife. 
Then we have a scripture. We're into Jeremiah now. So if you're reading along with us, and if you're behind, just leap into Jeremiah and catch up with us and just start reading in Jeremiah. It's a great, great book. And as we were reading this week, Jeremiah 9, uh, 23 through 24, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. These things aren't uh, bad in themselves. Wisdom is not bad, but it's not anything to boast in. Let not the wise man boast in their wisdom. It's not bad to be might or to be a mighty man. It is just wrong to boast in that. It's not wrong to be rich. It's just wrong to boast in those riches and to love money. But let him who boasts, boast in that he understands and knows me. This is the greatest uh, value of what a good father can do, is he will teach his children, he will lead by example in his family, and he will lead by example in the community that the most important thing in his life is Jesus Christ the person of Jesus, and the work of Jesus. The most important thing in his life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection come forward in his life. Uh, A good father understands and knows the Lord, and that's the thing that he talks about. The thing that you talk about the most is the thing you're boasting in. uh, So, you know, I grew up talking a lot about sports in a very sports-oriented family, and I always had like, okay, are sports more boasting or Jesus? I'm kind of like, you know, right there on the border because <laughs> it was so important that you, you know, excelled at, uh, you know, athletics and things like that. It's how you got attention. But God's saying that a good father and what God cares most about you excelling in is knowing him. And it's just not knowing about him. It's knowing him intimately as a good, good father that loves you and that has given his only begotten son for you. And and he is your greatest treasure. Jesus is your greatest treasure. There is no competition with with money or work or being a a mighty man of valor or or boasting in your wisdom. There's not a a conflict there. Your superior uh, goal and treasure is that you know God and you understand him. That's first place in your life. If I took you and threw you, the spear of your life would be that you understand and know the Lord. That you would know and understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you are an arrow in God's quiver and he does propel you into the world. And if your first message is diluted with any other love that you have uh, other than the first place, if the first place of the thing that comes out in your life isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Um, So don't be bogged down uh, uh, too much in political conversations or being a good American or being a good patriot. Let the first thing that you propel into life is the goodness of God in your life and the goodness of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Let that be the first and forefront of your life. And a good, good father teaches his children these kinds of things. He teaches them that he is a sinner and he is in need 
to walk humbly with his God. He himself is in need of God's help and forgiveness in his life. He teaches the commandments, yes. He teaches right from wrong. He teaches that judgment day is coming when the good and righteous God will judge every deed, evil or good. He teaches uh, us to love our wives, yes, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But this boast of his is, is his glorying in all that God has done for him and that he knows and understands the Lord and what he requires of us to, to walk humbly with our God, to love him, to submit to the gospel, to be and live in a repentant state before God. No one comes close to doing all this or doing all of this all the time. In part, we do these things now. In part, as fathers, as mothers, as parents, as children, as uh, workers at our job, as employers and employees, as, in all these ways, these qualities of God fuel into our lives, and we want to be as believers like our Heavenly Father, but we fall so short. And even with a good father, the picture is so incomplete. When all of his deeds are brought before the Lord, there will be many deeds that were not good. In fact, Jesus says some of these deeds um, and how he views us as earthly fathers is with a very strong word is that all of us have bad fathers. All of us have actual evil fathers. This sounds shocking, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 says, Jesus is looking at them, he's looking at his followers, and he's saying, if you, then who are evil? And this is what Jesus is calling, and this is his, in his goodness, all are sinners, all are evil. If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, even you, even you fathers, all fathers, all evil fathers, all of us evil fathers, me, an evil father, fallen short, fallen short all the time of this glory, falling short of all these demands that I just laid out for you all the time, is evil in God's sight. It's falling short of his glory and his potential of what we could be. If, but I still know how to give good gifts to my children, right? Jesus is saying, if you being evil know how to still give, give good gifts to your children, how much more? This is today's focus is on God. How much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? See, he wants to give good gifts to his children, and he's perfect in all of his ways. We're evil, and we know how to give good gifts, right? Uh, you know, and so Jesus is uh, giving good things to those who ask him. Matthew seven eleven, Luke eleven thirteen. He says, uh, "Give." Uh, the same scripture, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the, the power. This is the difference between just the commandments and the gospel is that we don't just have the commandments, but we have the motivation to keep them in the gospel. We have a loving example in Jesus who kept the commandments of God perfectly, and it was his delight to do the will of the Father. He pleased the Father uh, perfectly for us. Jesus, you know, God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased at his baptism. It's Jesus has pleased the Father. 
So for us to be a good father, to be a good person, we put our faith in what Jesus has done. That's not burdensome, is it? That's not heavy, is it? You're saved by grace alone, by the gift that God has given. And Jesus, he gave you a gift. Will you receive it, that good gift? And will you humbly so? That's what I need. I can't do it on my own. So hear the gospel. Hear the good news. Hear the announcement today. And let me make it clear that I'm not saying go out and be a better father. And you can do this and you should do that. And you should do that. I'm not heaping burdensome things on you or as a people. The gospel is a freeing gospel. And the gospel is news, not just advice. It's news. It's already what God's done. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you advice. I'm trying to announce what God has already done in the good news. That's the difference between kind of religion that's saying, that's heaping things on you. Do these things. Do this. Do that. No, you need to do it more. You need to do this more. You need to do that. But the gospel is different. And I hope you hear this. And you can only hear this by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's good news. It's what he has already done. This is what our church is built around and what we've emphasized for the last 10 years, that it is something, the gospel is something that has been done for you. Like, yeah, but what do I need to do? No, think about this. Meditate on this. Let this soak in. The gospel is something that has been done for you. The power of God and his gift has given his son. This is what he's given you. This is the good news that's already been announced and that I'm just repeating and announcing it today through these scriptures and our, our response is to gladly receive. Our, our response is to, yes, humbly, like, receive. I need that. I can't do it on my own. I can't be a better father. I need a supernatural power in me to be a better father. I need your love, Father, to be a good father. In the great writings of an old guy, Thomas Chalmers, uh, he wrote this uh, really, it was a little book that I have it. It's, it's a sermon, though, because their sermons were long, you know. I mean, it take you an hour or more to, or two to read it. Uh, but it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the gospel is like that. I, that that'll be hard to remember, but Thomas Chalmers, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And when we read this scripture this morning in 1 John, about the love of the Father and the love of the world. You either have the love of the world or you have the love of the Father. The love of the Father is an expulsive power. It is the power of the gospel that pushes out and expulses out every other love and affection that the world would lure you to. See, when you're gripped by another love, you know, the love of the Father can't dwell there. But the power of the love of God in Jesus has the... This is. Uh, summation in my own words of Thomas Chalmers, um, uh, the expulsive power of a new affection. When you have a new affection for the gospel, when you have a new affection for the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, when you say in your heart, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When that's your expulsive love of God, it pushes out the love of the world. You don't have to say, don't love the world, don't love the world, don't love that, don't do that. You just got to fill yourself with the love of the Father, and you can't do both at the same time. It will push out your love and affection for this world. And so that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the motivation of the gospel. Every other religion and every other religious uh, founder says, here's the way to find God. But Christianity says, 
Here is God. I have come to find you. God saying, I am God. I have come to do, here's the gospel, what you could never do. Look at Israel. We've read it over and over again. Had the commandments. Could they ever do it? Read the Old Testament several times. They can't do it, Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah today in the reading was like, you've never done it, Israel. Since Egypt, you've never done it. You've never done it. God knew this, and he provided a way of grace. He provided a way of forgiveness. He provided the gospel. Every other religion says those kind of things. The unique thing about Christianity is grace, the free gift of grace, the gospel, and it comes through Jesus. It is in him. That's why Paul could say things like in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I mean, Paul knew a lot of things. He was captured into the heavens. He saw things that no man could see that he couldn't even utter about. But this is what he boils down to. This is the spear of his, of his life when he comes to the Corinthians. He says, I decided when I was among you to know, not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is being and having that point of the spear. The gospel relieves burdens. It doesn't heap burdens on. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is what I want to celebrate together in this little meal that we have together of communion together. It's a a feast, actually. It's feasting on Jesus. Even though it's a little cup of grape juice and a little tiny piece of bread, it symbolizes, if you're a believer here today, you're welcome to take this with us. And what it symbolizes is, is in the body of Jesus... Jesus was everything that the Father desired. And he gave that goodness of Jesus' body to us. And he gave his blood for us. And the fruit of the vine represents that. So some of you are looking on your seats in the front here, and there's little cups. We might need some, uh, Karen, or I don't know. If, or if anybody doesn't have one, um, let me know. Okay. I don't know if it's everybody. Anybody else need one? Karen's got some here. So we have a good, good father, don't we? Amen. And he helps us evil fathers uh, with his goodness. I know that's humbling to to call ourselves evil, but Jesus did it, so I do it. Uh, It just means we've fallen short of God's glory, and all of us have sinned as fathers. All of us have fallen short of his glory. And so we want to remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is a beautiful symbol of how we do that. We're going to take out the bread out of the bottom and drop it out. Jesus At the last Passover, when he inaugurated the new covenant in his blood, he took a piece of bread and he gave thanks for it to the Father. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. Let's partake together.
Father, thank you for the, the body of your Son. Thank you that your great, generous love sent your Son into this world to live in our world, in our neighborhood. You tabernacled among us in your Son. You came and lived here. The eternal Word of God, the eternal Son of God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And all the culmination of history came to that point of the gospel that the eternal Son of God would give his life as a sacrifice for us evil fathers, for us sinful people. You would demonstrate your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you would give us your only begotten Son. We thank you for that and we praise you for that and we put our trust in that Amen. He then took the fruit of the vine and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood given to you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember Christ and take this together. Father, as we've taken this simple meal together and remembered the body of your son Jesus and remembered his shed blood upon that cross, may you transform our hearts. We can't do it. We humbly bow before you and ask that you empower us with the good gift of the Holy Spirit and with good gifts from heaven and that you empower us and transform us, Lord, because we humbly admit We cannot do it on our own. I don't care if it's two steps, three steps, five steps, seven steps, ten steps. We can never do it, God. Help this time for our heart to be transformed by the revolution of the gospel in our hearts, God. Empower us and motivate us to Do your will with joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close in, in worship.